Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program brought to you by RNZ Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. On the show this week, following the allegations of match-fixing in tennis, we ask the question, are there any clean sports left in the world? WADA's Director-General gives us his verdict. The football ferns have qualified for the Rio Olympics, but it's a tougher road ahead for New Zealand's basketballers. Sean Johnson will make his long-awaited return to the NRL at the Auckland Nines, and from one short form of code to another, the World 7 Series hits Wellington. Following the recent allegations of match-fixing in tennis, the world of sport has come under a cloud of suspicion. From doping in athletics, allegations of match-fixing in cricket, to corruption in football, faith in clean sport is at one of its lowest points. Earlier this month, in a follow-up to its groundbreaking investigation on doping in Russian athletics, the World Anti-Doping Agency released a report about the criminal activity connected to those findings. Added to the original conclusions around a pervasive doping culture in Russian sports, it went further and concluded saying sports world governing body, the IAAF, allowed it to happen. Now sportswear giant Adidas is terminating its deal to support athletics four years early. So how damaged is sport? Nine to Noon's Catherine Ryan asked the Director General of the World Anti-Doping Agency, New Zealander David Howman, if there's a difference between the corruption allegations against FIFA compared to the allegations of drug abuse in athletics. Well, I'd like to think so. I, th- I think you've got to differentiate between the, the um, current controversies. I think the FIFA issue is the um, people running the game trying to make money uh, out of those who are selling tickets and, and, and providing sponsorship. So it's a different sort of debacle. The, the international athletics one is really concerning to us because it's corruption where results were effectively uh, fixed by those who took money to allow cheaters to compete. That's pretty bad. Uh, and the match-fixing thing, it's been around, I mean, it's not new. It's been around since the 90s, and, and it's going to continue. And that's the area, I think, probably where people uh, are not trying to fix at the elite level. They're fixing at lower-level games generally. And you'll find, for example, that the information that we've got now shows that there are betting on third grade under 16 girls soccer in Singapore and, and it's, so it's a, they're all different issues but they all affect the integrity of the game the values of the sport that, that we love so much uh, then you've got to go through I think Catherine you've got to go through sport by sport and say well am I going to be cynical about every sport or can I at least uh, say that something is better than something else or uh, that I can rely on the top-level rugby games not being fixed and so on. And I think you can do that. You, you don't have to be a full cynic. That is what is so alarming, though. And it's not new. And FIFA's, you know, the rumours around FIFA's corruption go back years and years and years. 
Uh, and athletics obviously has its own history. We'll talk more about part two of, of, of your own report in, in a moment. But what is perhaps distressing is how ineffective organisations seem to have been in policing themselves. Let's talk about FIFA and the open secret around its problems. The IAAF report, Athletics Governing Body report that you've done, states that no one in its top ranks could have been oblivious to what was happening. So what are we to take from that? Well, I think what you've got really is a governance system for international sport which is based on 19th century or early 20th century ideals and they were put into being essentially when sport was amateur uh, and they don't they don't really relate to the current day's issues and that's probably the area that needs to be changed now in changing it it's quite difficult because you've got international federations now uh, to whom uh, every country in the world belongs, and, and many of the federations have one country, one vote approach, which is the UN approach, uh, and say, well, what's wrong with that? And it's very difficult to argue. But what you have with the one country, one vote is the system of manipulation which occurred in FIFA where votes could essentially be bought uh, or at least bribed in, in one way or another because there was so much money going around. And that's when you have problems uh, at a governance level. If that can be cleaned up and, and you can have a watchdog look at international federations and say, look, we've, we've done our bit, we've looked at these guys, they're operating properly and so on, you might have an answer to that component. You've got a different answer when it comes to match fixing and a different answer when it comes to other levels of corruption. And my thesis over the last five or six years, really coming from the experiences I've had in WADA, is that it, it's not much different from doping to bribery to match-fixing. It's not much different in terms of the individuals who are essentially from the criminal underworld, many of them, uh, who are trying to make money out of sport the same way they made money out of corrupt businesses and so on. The point is, though, surely those international bodies, you would have confidence in endeavouring to stamp these out of uh, th th these operators out of their sport. The man in charge of the IAAF said, Co, Lord Co, an outstanding athlete in his day, said of this report, I know how serious this is, we are a failed organisation. Now he's on the inside, he's now leading the inside. And I think uh, what Richard Pound said when he delivered our report was, well, I trust him uh, and better, I suppose, the devil you know than the devil you don't know, to try to do something about it. He's certainly been very positive in, in what he has said he will put into place. Uh, so we've got to wait a little bit to see what the outcomes of those things are. Wada's report uh, was scathing of his predecessor, the former IAAF president, Lamine Dayak. 16 years in that top job. And, and this is another thing. These organisations seem to be extremely anti-democratic. There seems to be almost a, a, a sort of a dictator-type figure who presides over them. If you look at what WADA concluded about the IAAF, what would you say went wrong? Well, I think what went wrong was that the president had too much power uh, and was able to essentially be a CEO rather than the president uh, and tell people within the organisation, at least within a small clique, what he wanted them to do to ensure that Russians could compete uh, when they had essentially been doping. Uh, and provided people paid hundreds of thousands of euros uh, to him through other people, 
then that was allowable. Now, nobody else knew about that. Whether they should have or not is, is the issue that I think Pound raised in the report. What, what happened uh, was outrageous. Uh, and the people who res- are responsible for it are subject to police scrutiny and therefore judicial intervention in, in France and perhaps in some other countries of the world. So we have to wait for the outcome of those criminal prosecutions to, to finally voice a view. But on what we know, it's just, it's just unforgivable. This is another thing, which is that the corruption was embedded, the, the, the report finds, and I think that is becoming a recurring theme, in some ways not unrelated to the structure of some of these international bodies and the fact that there might be voting blocks around the place. But what is equally extraordinary is if, if we look at these big controversies that have come to light ultimately and been dealt to ultimately, it's not anyone on the inside of the organisation who stood up and said this is wrong. In almost every case, it's been a journalist. It was a German documentary maker who uh, brought to light the, the Russian doping scandal that's led to calls for a ban on it. It was um, you know, journalists who brought to light the professional cycling doping. What is wrong in the policing system within sport that someone somewhere isn't blowing the whistle on these very long-running cases? Well, I think, Catherine, at the end of the day, it, it, you said it at the outset of this discussion, and that is that um, sport is allowed to police itself. Uh, it regards itself as autonomous and, and therefore not subjected to uh, what other scrutiny might be provided with in our societies. And I, th- I think that day is, is vastly... Uh, coming to a conclusion and where they can they can ask for that. What we've discovered and, and what we've done as an independent body is expose some of it. Uh, we weren't even able to conduct investigations ourselves until the 1st of January last year. So now on, I would say there's going to be more scrutiny from us. Uh, but that's not going to cover all the issues that you've traversed. It's not going to cover the FIFA stuff. It's not going to cover the issues relating to match fixing, and in my view, uh, has always been there should be an international body looking at them all, and looking at them all from an independent base, with, uh, with keys with people like Interpol and, and World Customs and the agencies that are already in existence. In other words, you don't create a new bureaucracy, you have a series of partnerships and, and you deal with these things. Do we need a sporting Interpol that is effectively a policing organisation? Well, I think you need a world sport integrity body which looks at all the issues of sport, uh, all the possible contests, if you like, with, with integrity and values, and say, all right, here's a, here's a body that can, can look at it. And that includes doping. Uh, but that's something I've been saying for five or six years. It's been picked up to a degree. How far people will run with it will depend on, I, I suppose, how political it is for countries to get in behind it. That was WADA's Director General New Zealand, David Howman. The football ferns have qualified for this year's Rio Olympics following their Oceania qualifier against Papua New Guinea. The result didn't come without controversy though. The qualifier is a two-leg event, with the first match in lay before the return leg was scheduled to be played in Auckland just three days later. However, after the ferns thumped Papua New Guinea 7-1 in their own backyard, the game in Albany had to be called off because the PNG squad didn't have the correct visas to enter New Zealand. While the result wasn't quite the one the Ferns coach Tony Reddings expected, he told me he's now focusing on the future rather than dwelling on the past. We want to play as many games as we, as we can. So we've got uh, our golf cup is already locked in. So we'll be, we'll be in that in March and that'll be four games, which is going to be 
obviously invaluable game time, but also invaluable tournament experience. We, we don't get to do that very often. Then there's a FIFA window in April and June, and we're, we're currently working on trying to get as, uh, some fixtures in those. And then we'll look to play some games en route to the Olympics and hopefully against teams that can replicate who's going to be in our group. So we've still got quite a few games ahead of us that we can look to refine and work on and you know, give players the experience they need. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's really good for us. And the Argyle Cup is the next one for us, and that's going to be important because like I said, it does replicate that tournament experience, which sort of gives us a dress rehearsal for the Olympics, which is going to be good. I know most uh, professional teams these days don't like to look too far ahead. They normally stick at one game at a time. But have you yourself or NZF put in any goals for what sort of you would like to get out of the Olympics? Whereabouts you'd like to uh, sort of finish up? Yeah, as a as a as a team, as a team internally, we've had a goal all the way since um, 2013, so the conclusion of the last Olympics. And that's to be a team that's capable of winning a gold medal when we when we go to when we go to the tournament. So that's where we've sort of set our standards. Everything's at a gold medal level. The way we prepare, the way we train. Um, so to give ourselves the best opportunity to be able to achieve that, that's the level we've had to operate at. So we've not really focused on on where we want to get into the tournament because we can't control that. And you know, like in the World Cup, there's quite a few, a few uncontrollable things which which prevented us from going further. So we can't really worry about that. But what we can control is, you know, how we prepare, um, you know, our standards, how we play, the style of football. So everything has been based around being a team that is capable of winning the gold medal. And then we'll just keep focusing on on the performance of our team. And then if we can do that, and the performances are where we want them, then we're we're quite hopeful that we're going to get go really far in the tournament. While uh, the result on Saturday was very convincing against Papua New Guinea, does not playing them again jeopardise that preparation at all for the Olympics? No, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it does. Like I said, we're going to play another game um, uh, tonight, so that's going to be a good opportunity, and it's just going to be you know, exactly the same, same stadium, same venue, uh, so, so same time. And um, it's just I mean, it's going to be another 90 minutes for us to, to play together. And so, no, not really for us. Like, we've got so many, so many more games planned between now and then, which are, are going to be more valuable than this one even, because the closer we get, they're going to get more and more valuable. So, no, we don't think that's going to affect us at all. That's the Football Ferns coach, Tony Reddings. Now, while the Ferns may have qualified for the Olympics, both the New Zealand men's and women's basketball sides appear to have a tougher road ahead of them after the draws were released this week for the final qualifying tournaments for Rio. In the men's draw, the Tall Blacks have been drawn in a six-team tournament in Manila in July, involving France, Turkey, the Philippines, Senegal and Canada. The tournament is one of three, with the winners of each qualifying for Rio. New Zealand is in a group with world number five France and the hosts the Philippines. Meanwhile, the Tall Ferns have been drawn with Cuba and the French side in their one-off qualifying tournament in France in June. Five teams from the 12-team tournament qualify for Rio. New Zealand is the ninth-ranked team at the women's tournament. So I spoke with Tall Ferns coach Kennedy Kiriyama about what he thinks his chances are of beating the host nation France in order to have a shot at Rio. It's good to have them in your pool, but you also know at that stage you'll never play them in a game that's going to matter um, You know, if, if you were to make it to a quarterfinal. So I guess not having the host nation in the quarterfinal, I, I believe, is a, is a huge advantage. So it's uh, for us, I think it's you know the best possible outcome. Um, you know, and, and and again, each you're going to play each game as it comes. And you know, for us, it's a matter of you know, in simple math, if you win one game, you, you make a quarterfinal. Uh, win two games, you 
first top of your qualifier and play against second of uh, of Paul B, you know, which would either be Turkey or Argentina, I believe. I don't I don't think Cameroon or I think is a third third team in that pod. Don't believe they would uh, they would beat either of those two teams. But again, stranger things have happened. So you know, for us, yeah, it's just a matter of playing one game at a time. But yeah, certainly playing. Uh, France, having France in your, in your pool, I think, is a, a big advantage because I certainly wouldn't want to be in pool B with the, um, you know, I guess knowing that there's a chance you play against the home nation in France. You know, they're going to have a lot of support there. Uh, it's a it's a very popular sport in the, in the country, so you'd imagine they're going to have a, a packed uh, stadium every game to support them. So, you know, that, that's great for them and, you know, and I guess a great challenge for us at the same time. Do you know much about this uh, this French and Cuban team that you will be coming up against? Look, I, I know I know probably as much as I need to know for now. Um, I know they have some some unbelievable players, um, you know, such as uh, Yokobu. They got a, they got a girl there that would probably rival a Piero Cameron on court. Um, you know, she's a big six foot four, and obviously not as tall as Piero, but in terms of uh, you know, weight ratios, she'd, she'd be punching you know close to the same weight. Very strong lady. I've seen it take teams apart by itself. Uh, they got another long guard in Greece. So, I mean, they've got some some pretty good players. They play regularly. They're playing in the Euro Cup at the moment uh, as, as a as a nation. So they're currently, you know, they're, they're playing regular games together. So, you know, they're going to be a very tough team to beat. Uh, the Cubans, I mean, they finished second to Canada and at the FIBA Americas. You know, and not a team to underestimate. The last time we played them was at the qualifier I'm sorry, not to qualify. It was at the uh, Beijing Test event in 2008. So it's been a long time since we played in there. And I reckon they still have the same coach and they probably have still very much the same players. We lost them on a, uh, in, in probably quite a heartbreaking way, we uh, we lost them off an offensive rebound out of a Felsting situation, which is, you know, probably a little unforgivable from our point. But, um, you know, that's that's what it was back then. And, you know, I, I think they've got some, some very tough players. You know, they've got an Amago. Who's a you know a combo guard, long and athletic. They're going to play a lot of zone. They're going to be completely different teams to probably what we're used to playing. None of them will play anything like an Australian team, and I guess that's the challenge of just continuously adjusting your game plans. And but no, they're not trying to get caught up into playing their style of basketball. I think at the end of the day, we've got to play our tall terms brand of basketball, which you know I, I think would have. Um, you know, been showcased relatively well when we played against Australia. You know, for us, it's just a matter of being a little more consistent with it and playing a full 40 minutes of basketball and, and having everyone make contributions, you know, from, from number one through number 12. And that's, you know, whether they're playing or not, you know, we need everyone making major contributions. And, you know, whether that's supporting teammates from the, uh, from the sideline or whether that's, you know, number 12 pushing number one or number two in our rotation at training sessions to make them the best player they can possibly to prepare them for what's ahead, but, um, you know, there's certainly a lot of uh, challenges for us. But before we even start thinking about those games, you know, we've obviously got preparation and selections and all those sorts of things to uh, to start considering. That is the Tall Ferns coach, Kennedy Kiriyama. And you are listening to Extra Time with Matt Chatterton. Sean Johnson's long-awaited return to the NRL has been confirmed with his inclusion in the Warriors squad for the Auckland NRL Nines. The 25-year-old halfback spent the latter stages of last season on the sidelines after he suffered a broken ankle against the Manly Seagulls in July. Johnson's injury coincided with the Warriors' drop on the NRL ladder, which resulted in the Auckland-based side missing the top eight playoffs. However, after rehabilitation and some hard training over the past three months, Johnson's back. 
He caught up with media at the Warriors Auckland Nines team naming to talk us through his road to recovery, starting with the topic of the weather. You know, obviously it's been really hot, but I think it can only do us good. Obviously we're playing a few games in Australia, um, so it's always a bit warmer over there. Um, if we can get through it and train well in the heat that we have been, um, I'm sure we can cope You know, when we play over there. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a challenge, but I think we've adapted pretty well. Third year of the tournament, Sean. Um, yeah, how do you think teams, do you think they've clued on to a, a particular style, how, they, how they'll play? Oh, look, I'm not too sure. Um, I think it's going to change every year. You know, change the second year from the first year, and I'm sure it's going to do the same this year. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's all about just getting out there. I guess you know, for us, you know, we're a team that likes to play what what's in front of us and not overthink things. So um, we just want to go out there and have some fun. What have you learned from the first couple of years of the Nines? Like, what's been sort of some well, last of year, uh, I think we really saw the defence um, pick up. You know, people were playing with one marker a lot more, so had that extra defender in the line. Um, kicking game was really important. I thought you know, the team that won at South um, sort of brought that, I guess, thirteen-ers style and putting the ball in the corner and just getting in your kick chase and you know, trapping them down there. So um, I'm not sure we're going to be doing that. <laughs> like, yeah. I know we've got boys that just like to run with the ball. So, um, yeah, we'll just play our game and see how far we go. Obviously, as a central player to the whole event, what's it like uh, running out in park to full house and everyone there to support you guys? Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, I haven't experienced anything like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty special and it's something I know, not just me, but all the boys, you know, really look forward to. There's a few things, few reasons why we like playing in the nines, and that's certainly one of them. Obviously, there's a few big boys in the squad. Mm. Um, any any guy in particular happy for? Uh, well, I think you can't go past Jacob Billyman. Um, the big fella. You should have seen him start training, running out wide. It was it was something special. So um, hopefully, you can do that in nines. It's uh, fast and loose, and suits your game perfectly. Is this the, the ideal way for you to come back? Yeah. Well, I don't know if there's an ideal way. Um, no, not the way I look at it, I've come back through training, hard training, um, working hard, and um, there's no doubts going into this tournament. You know, I feel like I've done the hard work to um, give myself, you know, all the confidence that I can go in there and just play, play my normal game. So, um, obviously, the nerves will be up a bit more. I haven't played in a while, uh, especially in an arena like that. So, uh, from that side, um, but certainly getting tackled and all that, um, that all that will be taken care of at training. Is there any anxiety at all towards like? An injury like that happening again? Do you feel? Oh, anxiety? yeah. I think any time you do an injury, um, just like the boys that have done knees, you know, you, you don't want to do it again. You don't want to go through what you've been through. So, um, yeah, touch wood. Any bit of wood you can touch, man. I'm hoping I can stay injury free and healthy. And um, yeah, here we go. Just, just quick, oh, sorry. sorry. Well, how long have you been feeling at 100 percent for? Like, when did you feel like you were right back in the game? Uh, probably a couple of weeks now. You know, I, it, it's not. A, you know, it wasn't about feeling 100% for a certain amount of time. It was about re- reaching the marks that the coaching staff had given me um, and building into this tournament you know, next weekend. So I'm still building. You know, I, I think each training session I get through, you, you walk off the field feeling that bit you know, more comfortable. So um, it's been important for me to be able to um, hit each training session I've, I've had to hit out on the field. And sometimes that, that's meant you know, sacrificing some weights. You know, if I'm a bit sore or... Um, other areas of my body getting used to running, so my hips or my, my back starting to go. Um, the club's been really, really good at sort of managing that, so um, I've been able to, I guess, maximise what I've been able to do out on the field. That's Sean Johnson. Meanwhile, the other rugby code shorter version hits Wellington this weekend. The All Blacks Sevens head into their defence of the Wellington title with something to prove after a disappointing start to the season. 
The New Zealanders have been decimated by injuries in the first two rounds and stand seventh on the table. Gordon Titchen's side is a mixture of players that include a number of 15s players hoping to crack the squad for the Rio Olympics. Kurt Baker is back in the team after last playing for them in 2014. He turned out for the Highlanders just last year. Baker says with a wide range of players in the team, there is a little bit of the unknown. Yeah, I'd say probably potential is the, the big word you use there. Um, you know, we haven't proven anything as a, as a group yet, but um, obviously there's guys in there that have proven themselves on the 15 side of things. So, you know, I think we've got a lot of potential. It's just a matter of probably working together and trying to put it all on the field. What are the significant adjustments that they need to make this I think it's just probably it's almost a different game for them. Um, you know, seven is still rugby, but um, there's different aspects, whether it's the conditioning or just where to be at the right time, or or uh, working a bit smarter around the field. So um, I, I think the boys that have come into it, have, you know, they've picked it up pretty quickly, and not to think we'll be you know, there or thereabouts on the weekend. People have been quite quick off the mark when it comes to saying the worms turning here in New Zealand aren't as good as seven as they used to be, and the program's not going so good. Is that is that premature when you say you've got all these tournaments to come? Is it too early to say the team's struggling or anything like that? Yeah, I think it is. Um, pretty tough to judge a team on two tournaments when there's uh, 10 in a whole series. So yeah. um, I think you'd be stupid to say they were struggling. But yeah. you've also got to look at the other teams. They're a lot stronger than you know probably previously they have been. Yeah. Um, you know, with the Olympic character, some countries have put a bit more into it than you know, they might have in the... Yeah previous years so we don't know but um, we're just working on what we, we need to work on and you know we've got goals and things that we're trying to achieve each, each set of tournaments. How have you find, found coming back into the fold? Yes, yeah, transition is pretty easy so I've done it a few times now so I've been uh, back and forth between 15s and 7s so um, it's obviously a little bit different because we've got some uh, some super rugby guys around, but um, you know it's just at the end of the day it's still a game of rugby. There's just a few less dudes and a bit more running around. But uh, obviously you you know you've kept fit, but uh, to the requirements that uh, Titchens wants, how, how close are you? I don't know if you'll ever be to the uh, requirements of what Titch wants, but um, it'll work pretty hard over Christmas New Year period, and um, no. I've, pretty confident that sort of conditioning levels are where they need to be to be you know effective in this team. So is a cohesion an issue when you've got you know 15s guys new guys in? I don't think so we've sort of spent um, two solid weeks together as a group um, trying all sorts of different combinations and as I said before it's probably it's just a game of rugby Um, it's just a matter of learning what the guys around you do and I think you know you only get that with game time and, and things like that so um, you know, we're, we're picking it up as a group. And so having 15s, I mean, you, you're perhaps the exception, you know, that play the top level in both sorts of games, but having the mix there, is, is that been good? Yeah, I think it's healthy. I think it's real healthy for for the squad. Um, you know, it's one of, me and one of the boys were talking about the other day, I think they um, they sort of complement each other. So you'll pick up things from 15s that you might not get in 7s that'll, that'll help 7s and, and probably vice versa, 7s to 15s. So... Um, you know, there's, there's upsides and downsides of crossing over between both codes, I think. And have you managed to sort of observe or pick up perhaps what the team lacked a little bit in those first two rounds? Yeah, I don't know if they lacked anything. I think it was just um, there was a bit of bad luck with injuries. Um, there was guys that were brought in that, you know, even they'd admit they probably weren't ready just, you know, to come straight out of uh, no training and straight into a New Zealand Sevens jersey. It was just a, 
you know, a bit of bad luck um, and pretty tough on them, to be honest. And I think for people to be saying that they underperformed is a bit unfair. So um, I think we're just really looking forward to, to what's, what's ahead, really. Meanwhile, Baker's coach, Sir Gordon Titchens, has made it plainly clear that this year's focus is solely on the Rio Olympic Games and giving his side the best chance of winning gold. While they've been making enormous strides and their potential is there for all to see, some of the Super Rugby and All Black stars, such as Adi Savia and Sonny Bill Williams, are struggling to reach the fitness and skill levels required to play sevens at the top level. Titchens concedes the 15s players will take time to grow, as sevens exponents and the New Look squad will take time to gel, though he's excited by the physical size of his players and the prospect of working with the biggest squad he's ever coached. It would be fair to say that the second tournament and the third tournament they'll certainly be a lot better. This first tournament's going to be a real challenge, just uh, making that transition, but they've got all the skill sets and probably the new substitute rule allows me to, to probably utilise that a lot better certainly with those players. Uh, yes, there's some huge potential. And, and what they'll notice though is, is the change in the level of intensity, how the game has changed since they've last played it. So that's going to be the real challenge for us in the weekend is uh, when we're up against the, the, the good teams and there's certainly no easy teams now. And that's what's going to challenge us. But um, they've certainly got real potential to be very, very good. And uh, the more sevens they play, the better they'll become. Yeah, looking at the size factor, it is a, a very, very big side. Very big, fast, explosive. You know, you see players like Akira Ioane, even Rico Ioane, Ben Lamb, Sonny Bill Williams, Sam Dixon, Tommy Mickelson. It's a, a very tall side as well. And a very strong side, which is really positive and, and something I'm certainly looking forward to work with. Yeah, so that's the way maybe... Sitting in the dining room yesterday um, at lunchtime when I saw the American team, the USA team walk through and they're huge. You know, so this is across nearly all teams now. The Fijians are huge, so that's where the game's changed. It's just being more explosive, being better in contact now and, uh, that, uh, and we've got to stick with that. You know, and that's what it's going to be no different moving through to the Olympics as well. With the uh, injuries and disruptions, Gordon, at the first two tournaments, coming back to Wellington, a few new players as well. Do you feel like you're almost starting the season over again in Wellington? Yeah, well, it's a totally different team, isn't it, um, mate? So we had some horrendous injuries, and we've still got a couple of those boys out, but uh, a lot of them have come back now. And now we're going to mix them in with the, the super rugby guys that have come in. You know, it's a, it's a potentially exciting side, you know, very, very exciting. But uh, hopefully uh, we can start really well again our first game against Russia and those are, those games are also a real challenge for those teams coming out nothing to lose against us and uh, in our own tournament you know we want to certainly uh, start well and uh, and set the scene for that first game has it been a unique challenge for you with the change of personnel and the injury disruptions I guess trying to get this team to gel in such a short space of time no it's one thing about our culture you know someone can be away from it for a long long time and come back and it's like they've never left and uh, with those four or five guys they've just slotted in so so well so a lot our systems are the same. I mean, the coach has been around for a long time, and um, and but again, with that, uh, also playing with different players that I've never played with before. So, the positive for us is, is on and up, and uh, and these guys understand the game of sevens. All by Sonny Bill Williams, and uh, he's made immense strides certainly over the last um, five or six days, certainly in camp. Also, with Liam Messon being back, and he's a, a gold medalist on two occasions for the All Black Sevens team, and uh, come back from Japan under a bit of an injury crowd but uh, the knowledge he can offer to the new younger players also in the weekend will be huge and uh, so having all those players around us which is really positive as well. Having a bit of a purr from the sideline Liam looks to be a little bit of a slimmed down version from the last time I saw him is he already on his way to prepping for sevens obviously? I mean he's been uh, he's been training sevens for a long time now even over in Japan he's been trying to get himself right so uh, 
and be prepared to come into whatever tournament I'm going to need him for in the World Series. He also wants that opportunity to, to go to the Olympic Games and uh, to do that he's going to have to play in some World Series tournaments. You mentioned he's carrying an injury, is, is, that, what, uh, sorry, is that what's going to keep him out of Sydney? Yeah, it's just a minor calf injury but uh, we're going to get that assessed and to see um, what rehab that needs but he could be available to Sydney but a little bit early to, uh, to conclude that with that. That is the All Black Simmons coach, Sir Gordon Titchens. And that's extra time for this week. You can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport or email us feedback, sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Matt Chitterton. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.